0: Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. My name is Jeremy, and I'm going to give a little family business here. But before I do, let's pray. Father God, you are good. We sing these songs together, often as prayers and often as statements of who you are, Lord, and we say together that you are good. Father, there's much to praise you this week, so thank you in your name, amen. This is what I really wanted to share with you guys. Um, Our dear friend, Boog. What is going on, you guys? Are you kidding me right now? He has new lungs, so. There's a lot to be grateful for. Amen, right? So around New Year's Day, he was... (laughs) It's about as close as we get as a rave in here. Uh, Many of us prayed New Year's Day, begging God for his life. And it was a heavy time. And God uh, preserved his life through that season. And then we prayed again, Lord, to heal his lungs. And God provided new lungs for him. So here he is today breathing on his own with new lungs. This is a huge, huge deal. God answers prayer. Amen? Amen. You guys, there was a moment that it was dark, and this congregation gathered right outside here, and that was the beginning of many, many, many prayers being answered. So thank you guys for stepping into the gap, praying for our brother Boog.
1: Welcome to Branches. My name is John. If you have a Bible. Please turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, uh, perhaps an usher can uh, make that available to you. I thought I saw some just a moment ago, but they may have gotten moved. So if you, have, if you need a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand. We are in week two of our series on gratitude, and it is a, a new day to be grateful. Uh, we're continuing to seek out what does it look like to be a people to be a people of gratitude and gratefulness that transcends our circumstances and our pain. And we find it easy to celebrate when things are going well, when we're getting promoted, when we're losing weight, when whatever it may be. There's When things go well, it's easy to celebrate. But when things don't go our way, when it feels like not a single prayer has been answered, then then how do we continue to show gratitude in those moments? What does it look like to rejoice when you feel like, not only am I down and not only am I being kicked while I'm down, but it's like this repeated kicking while I'm down. How do you be grateful in those sorts of circumstances? And our family here, as you know, has been going through a time of intense suffering alongside our brother Boog. And yet, what I see in the midst of this community is joy, I mean, overwhelmingly, just a sense of purpose, of unity, and of joy that we, we get to celebrate today that our friend has new lungs, right? I mean, that's, you know, Paul uses the word rejoice. I don't hear that word so often outside of a room like this. I hear it probably more often like super stoked. Um, <laughs> Like, and they were all super stoked. It was like maybe what Paul would write these days if he hung out here. Um, but I just hear joy and thankful reports, you know, gratefulness for, for our friend Boogie, and it's very encouraging. So I want to talk more about that, and we're going to be in the book of Philippians talking about gratitude. So if you're in chapter 2, you're in the right spot. Um and I want, to remember, I want to remind you that this book written to the church in Philippi, we often forget how it was written and how they would have read it in that day. You know, it's, it's, it, hi. Um, Christy. Um, but it would have been read in a setting like this, right? Who are they going to put up there today? I mean, <laughs> You know, it's, it's so interesting. We worship at the altar of individualism, right? In our community, in our culture, it's like we read this as if it was written to just us. And yet nobody, when this letter was first being read, probably would have read it on their own, except possibly the person who was transporting it. But most likely, it would be brought to a place And people would come from all around, from all different classes, from the rural parts of the city, from inside the city. You would have leaders, Romans, Greeks, Jews. You would have all sort a mishmash of people, kind of like this room, but not at all like this room, (laughs) right? You get me? Like there's all sorts of income represented in that room. There's all sorts of uh, different occupations being represented in the room. And sometimes we just get so uh, self-focused, we forget that, well, wait, this is written to a whole bunch of different people. Because I hear things, at least having worked in the church for a long time, like, I'm just not getting fed. Oh, I didn't realize that this whole thing served to feed you. Oh, I must have missed something about the whole story of why Jesus came to earth and all these sorts of things. It was about feeding you, just you. Or, you know, it's just not my style of worship. Oh, I didn't realize you had your own style, that there was individual styles of worship that you just tailor-made to yourself. Like, what is that about? So we don't know how big the church in Philippi was, but it was, it was composed of all different kinds of people. So when we read this letter, we remember that it's being read in a communal kind of setting, okay? And so we're going to read a little bit about the second chapter. We're going to go chapter by chapter through this month. And we're in chapter 2, and I want to give you just a little bit of background because we're not going to do the whole thing uh, just for the sake of time. But Paul begins the chapter by telling the church that they'd really bring him a great amount of joy if they could just be of one mind, if they could be looking out for other people's interests rather than just their own. And ultimately, by, by seeing a bigger picture that Jesus has modeled, for us and made available to us in his life, death, and resurrection. And he goes into this beautiful poem beginning in verse 5, and he says, This, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Paul has some beautiful writing, right? I mean, we talked last week about some of the things that he's brought to us over the years. There's a reason why his words are often recited at weddings. Uh, he has some beautiful writing, and he goes into this beautiful poem. Uh, yeah. In other words, let the same mind be in you that, it, that, that was in Christ Jesus. and he, Begin to mold your thinking to the way Jesus thought. Or begin to shape your convictions into the ones that Jesus held. And then we get into verse 12. And that's where we're going to kind of hang out this morning, verses 12 through 18. So if you'll read with me here, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me just stop right there, real quick, and make a comment. When I say work out your own salvation, in the culture that we're raised and that we live in, how many of you just immediately think of your own personal salvation? Just me, just my own. Work out your own salvation. This, is again, is how our culture doesn't serve us well when we read the Scripture. That word work is, is uh, actually a plural-like command, y'all work. So when you read you in the Scripture, work out your, work out all y'all's salvation. We'd be better off if we lived in the South. All y'all's salvation needs to be worked out. Does that make sense? Uh, and, what I, and I want to comment briefly on that because I've heard a lot of sermons on that. Uh, one scholar, Tom Wright, he says, God works salvation in and we work it out. I thought that was a really cool thought because uh, I, I think many of us tend to read it like, well, I've got to work out my, my own salvation. That means we've got to figure out what we need to do in order to get it, right? How do we have to behave? What are the rules we have to follow? How do we have to live our lives in order to get that salvation? And it, and what I love how Tom spins that, and he just says, "No, God's working it in. You guys got to work it out. All right. So let's keep reading. Verse thirteen. For it is God who is at work. It is God who is at work. It is God who is at work in you, enabling y'all. In y'all. Sorry. Got to we got to say you know we got to kind of sort of translate you plural." Enabling you all both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then verse 14, do all things without grumbling and arguing. Grumble, grumble. Do all things. What things? All things. So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you, which you all shine like stars in the world. It is by holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is glad and he rejoices. And if you missed last week or you're unaware of where this is being written from, Paul is in chains, probably chained to a guard, after being tortured, whipped, beaten, flogged, stoned, and now is in prison and he's writing, I am glad and I rejoice. That's someone who has a kind of joy that transcends his circumstances and that's what we've been talking about. Now, Paul do all things without grumbling or complaining or arguing or disputing, whatever it may have in your translation, this grumbling, grumbling. Then the Greek it's gongismos. Uh, wonderful word. So if you want to just put that into your word bank, gongismos, um, you got it now. Like you can tell your kids, hey, enough of the gongismos. You know, right? Enough of that. And enough gongizmos from you. Enough grumbling, complaining. Blame, so do all these things without gongizmos or arguing or disputing. Blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. Paul first is asserting that God has called them children. And what we get from Paul here is this, this is how Paul understands the creator of the universe as a father who loves his children. You are children of God, and I can't help but reflect back on our sister Stephanie Rose's words. As she is in a time of intense suffering, watching her husband fight for his life, she wrote this, and I'll just read her words verbatim, in a community, because I think that that's how they were meant to be read, not to you individually necessarily, like how we're reading them possibly online, but let's read it as if we're receiving it all together. She writes, We all need to understand how important and beautiful it is that we have a God who is a Father and that we are His children. God wants us at His side. He needs to see us. He loves us so much. You all are His precious children. I pray that today... Every one of you who reads this comes to know this incredible daddy in heaven. You are his children, perfect and precious in every way. Amen? I find this so significant that Paul's writing this and at the same time Stephanie's writing this and that we just happen to be reading these at the same time. Uh, She's writing through a time of suffering and yet... There is this larger story that she has tapped into. Are you with me? And neither she nor Paul have lost sight of this grand picture, this beautiful story that is happening all around us. When you read verses 14 through 18, you're also reading a passage filled with references to other scriptures. You didn't even know that. You didn't even know. I mean, you didn't even know you're reading this passage and you're like, I wonder if this refers to other things. It does. <laughs> Grumbled and disputed. That's a, that's a reference back to Exodus 16 and Numbers 14. Blameless and pure. That's a reference back to Genesis 17. Crooked and perverse generation. That's a reference to Deuteronomy 32. Shine like stars. That's a reference to Daniel 12, verse 3. Speaks of the wise By which they meant the Israelites who were skilled in applying and knowing God's law. Especially in a time of persecution. Shining in that way to the world around them. Straight out of labor in vain. Right out of Isaiah chapter 65. Paul is just writing these things down. And he's assuming someone in there is going to know that all these little things that I'm saying are referring back to these other things in Scripture. Someone's going to get that and pass that along. And let's turn our attention to the first reference, and I want to kind of just sit on a couple of those references for a while. Grumbled and disputed, complained and argued, murmured and argued, however your translation might have it. Does anybody have grumble in here? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Complain, dispute, argue. See, Paul writes, do all things without grumbling or disputing, And interestingly, I did a little bit of research on that word, all things. Um, in the Greek, it's, it's pas. And uh, it literally means all things, all, every, the whole of all things. So there's no kind of getting around, well, maybe it was mistranslated. Maybe he only meant some of the things. It's all of the things. Do everything without... Remember, everything without. So sit in your chair without complaining, without grumbling. Right? Tie your shoe without complaining. It's all things, whatever it may be. Drive from here to there without complaining. Sit on the tarmac without (laughs) complaining. Wait for the Matterhorn, without (laughs) complaining. (laughs) I'll shut up. Okay. Now, this verse mentioning grumbling and complaining, it's a nod back to Exodus, when God brought the slaves up out of Egypt and rescued them from captivity. And if you remember the story, the sea was parted, and the Israelites passed passed through the waters... And were rescued. They got to the other side. Does anybody remember this story? A few of you? Um, Now, the scriptures tell the story about even after they had passed through, they continued to grumble, grumble, grumble and complain. Okay? And there's this old rabbinical story. This is not in the scripture. About two former slaves. Former slaves because they're now no longer slaves because God has brought them up out of slavery. They're walking across the parted sea, and this is how the rabbinical story goes. As they're walking, they're looking down and they're grumbling and complaining because of the mud.
0: Oh, 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 oh.
1: There's mud on my sandals. There's mud stuck between my toes. One guy says, oh, all this mud in my toes. I hate mud. The other guy, my sandals are ruined. (laughs) All the while, they're missing the wall of water being held back for their liberation. (laughs) Because their heads were down... They did not see the massive walls being held back for their safety and liberation. And see, Paul has been proclaiming a new exodus in Jesus. A new exodus. In Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, you are being liberated from a life of sin and death. Paul would write things like, you were dead in your trespasses and sins but you have been made alive. Or as we read even on the first Sunday of this year, Jesus' words, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you receive this? There's a new exodus, a liberation. That's the gospel that, that Paul is pronouncing. Don't grumble and complain. You shine like stars. And this is brilliant because he spins this thing. And you have to know the passage. And I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm assuming someone there knew it. But in Deuteronomy 32, and I just want to read it to you. This is a nod back to that crooked and perverse generation. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. I'll just read it to you. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. But... Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, they have acted corruptly toward him when they act so perversely. Are they really his children? They are a deceitful and twisted generation, or a crooked and perverse generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord? Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father who created you? Has he not made you and established you? This is, this is being written right after the Exodus, this passage in Deuteronomy. And this is, about, this is a passage of, about people who did not get it. They didn't get it. They did not get it. They missed the awe and the wonder of God's grace, right? They had their, their eyes focused on the mud, and they missed the massive walls of grace being held up all around them. And so what Paul's saying I mean, of course, that has nothing to do with the world we live in, right? We don't ever miss the massive walls of grace being held up around us because our eyes are focused on the mud. That couldn't at all describe me. Paul is saying, you are God's children. Don't grumble and complain. You're to shine like stars in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation. You aren't like them. It's a nod back to Israel. You guys are different. Yes, God brought them up out of Egypt and liberated them, and then they whined. What a bunch of whiners. Don't, you don't have to be like that. You know how the story went. They may have missed the point. You don't have to. They may have grumbled and complained. You don't have to. You don't have to go that way. And there's something in here for us. Your father may have been an alcoholic, but you don't have to be. Your mother may have been emotionally distant, but you don't have to be. You don't have to repeat the cycles of your past. You can do things without grumbling. You can shine like stars. There's cycles of how people have treated you, but you don't have to repeat their mistakes. There are things that have happened, and there have been traditional responses, and you don't have to give the traditional response. You don't have to be like that. That's Paul's nod saying, Hey, you're to shine like stars. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. I'd say, first of all, this story went, how your story went or how this story went is not how the story has to go. You can break the cycle. You can create a new paradigm for how you're living and for living in general. And I'd say, first of all, we grumble when we forget to remember. We grumble when we forget to remember. The Scriptures are all about remembering. <laughs> They're filled with remem- remembrance. Remember, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt in captivity. When you were slaves in Egypt, remember when you were slaves in Egypt? When I brought you up out of, I mean, it's repeated over and over and over. Yeah, okay, we, we get it. We remember, you know. These things keep getting repeated because we're thick, right? We just don't get it. We keep forgetting what a gift Our life is there's always a larger story there's always a larger story than the story we're choosing to tell when we grumble there's always a larger story story going on oh you have the resources to have that problem huh you have the resources to have that problem that's weird you have the physical health to get to the point to have that issue wow that's so strange Children are a gift. We get to hear that baby cry. That is a gift. I mean, there are times at 2 in the morning where it doesn't feel like much of a gift, but that is the sound of life. And if you stopped hearing it, then what? It's a gift. Life is a gift. There's always a larger story going on. In the Exodus story, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. If you keep looking at the mud on your shoes, you're going to forget the larger story. You guys remember the Occupy movement? We are the 99%. (laughs) Come on. Look, here's the deal. If you have access to safe drinking water or a toilet, you're already now part of the 70%. Sorry. There's 30% of the world that doesn't have access to either of those. If you've, ever made a phone, if you've ever made a phone call, you are no longer part of the 99%, I'm sorry. You are now part of the 60% because 40% of the world has never made a phone call. If you own a car, just raise your hand. Do you own a car? Now, keep them up, keep them up. I own a car, I own a computer. I own a computer, more hands? Okay, if you own a car, uh uh-oh, now you're part of the 10%, sorry, because 90% of the world does not own a car or a computer. In fact, only 8% of the world owns a car. If you happen to have access to the internet on your phone, well, now you're part of the 3% because only the top 3% of the richest people in the world have access to the internet on their phone. Life is a gift, and we forget it. Gift. In no place should that make more sense than in this place. Each breath is a gift. You can work, gift. You have a phone bill to play, pay. That means you have a phone, gift. One of the reasons we complain is because we think we need more, right? We think we need more. In First Corinthians, chapter one, verse seven, Paul writes this: "Therefore, you do not lack any." Y'all, sorry. Therefore, all y'all don't lack any spiritual gift as you all eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. What do you lack? Nothing. You don't lack anything. Together, he talks about this mystical body of Christ and that together we have everything we need. That word for everything in the Greek is everything. Everything all things everything you complain cuz you're waiting cuz we're we're waiting for the next thing we assume we need and then we'll be okay right and i'll just list the ones for me when i get that money when i get through that part of school when so and so moves away when i get promoted when I get that raise, when our kids are this age, when we get a new car, a remodeled kitchen, then we'll be okay. This is how we live our lives, assuming that it's the next thing that we need. We complain because we think we need more. You do not lack any spiritual gift. You have everything you need. And if you study the great church fathers from the very beginning, the truly enlightened ones, speak about the kingdom of God here and now and that all that there is to enjoy, all the beauty and the wonder and the love is available now. And Jesus would walk around and say, behold, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Turn and enter into it. It's all right here, right now. They always speak of that reality that is here and now. And Jesus would say, oh, that you would have eyes to see. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above or born again. This gift that's right in front of you. As a friend of mine says, it's present everywhere but is hidden. And when I last visited Bog in the hospital, he could barely keep his eyes open. He could barely lift his eyelids with the strength that he had. And yet my hunch was that he could see so much more clearly than myself. You follow me? We complain because we think we need more. At some point, they're going to finish that section of freeway at Pico over there. I can't believe this traffic. Oh, you have a car to take you from A to B. Gift. You are to shine like stars. Then he uses these two word pictures towards the end, and his first century audience would have been familiar with them. At the end of verse 16, he says, it is by holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain and I did not labor in vain. So labor, uh, that metaphor there, basically, I didn't go to work for nothing here is what he's saying. I know that I didn't go to work for nothing, right? Right? And then the second one is a sports metaphor, or the first one. The running is a sports metaphor. And I, I love what one, one scholar, Tom Wright, he says this, and I'll just read it to you. He says, for Paul's part, he'll be able to look on, even from a distance, and know that his work has borne fruit. He's going to be from a distance because Paul's riding from prison. He hasn't run the race on the wrong track or spent all his energy on building something that is going to collapse the moment his back is turned, Right? even if he dies before all this comes about, he will know that he can celebrate a job well done and he wants them to celebrate with him. And you look at the end of verse 17 and 18, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you must be glad and rejoice with all of me. You are to shine like stars. If you don't grumble and complain in this world, it will be so different. <laughs> it will be so different. Do you know that it's estimated that the content of 80% of workplace conversation and banter centers on complaining. Can I get an amen? Just just go to work on Tuesday if, or on Monday if you don't get the holiday. Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> grumble, grumble, grumble. Go to work and just be aware of how much of your let's say, non-technical like, talk is, like, hey, did you, you know, get the TPS reports? You know, <laughs> how, much of, how much of your conversation outside of TPS reports is complaining? Because I bet after you say, hey, did you get my TPS report? No, your email's probably broken. Or, you know, no, my secretary forgot to bring it to me. You know, or whatever it is. It's just 80%. Imagine if you didn't complain. Just imagine. You would shine like stars in this world. Paul refers to running a race, and Paul, Paul often refers to these races and it's, of life, it's like a marathon. It's a long-distance run. And you've heard that metaphor before. But there are times when you go through something difficult, and I've never run a marathon because, come on, you know? <laughs> it's just not, okay? <laughs> Let's not do that. But I've watched other people. <laughs> and there are times in the race when there's huge crowds, everybody's on either side, woohoo, hee ha. And then there's like, where in the world is everyone? Like there's just some dude out by himself, there's nobody around, maybe a chase car if you're watching it on TV. And they're just running by themselves. And that's how life is. Like, you feel abandoned. Like, there's, I'm running up this hill. Nobody is cheering me on. There's not been Gatorade for, like, four miles, you know? <laughs> and in those horrible, awful times when you're sitting in the waiting room or when you just got the diagnosis or when you just found out that they didn't make it, you get to say, oh wow, I'm about to find out how the spirit of God is at work even in this. I'm about to find out how God is moving even here. I'm about to learn how to rejoice even in the midst of this. I almost gave up, but I didn't. I kept going and I did it without grumbling. (laughs) See, Paul's trying to tell them with Christ, this new exodus, it's liberating you from sin and death. And his life, as he writes there, it's in verse 17, is being poured out for them. His life is a sacrifice for their faith. And he's rejoicing because of their faith. And they should be glad and rejoice with him. It's time to celebrate. His life's not being spilled out. It's not being wasted. It's being poured out. And Jesus poured out his life for us. And we're going to remember that when we celebrate communion. See, every life is going to is going to end. And it will either be wasted and spilled, or it could be poured out for a greater story. A larger sacrifice something much bigger than yourself. And those of you that are a little further down the road, and I'm not going to look at anybody, (laughs) some of you that are a little further down the road, you can testify to the fact that it gets poured out really fast. It goes very quickly. Everyone's life gets poured out. The question is, will it be spilled and wasted or will it be poured out as a sacrifice for a greater story. Jesus, the one with the authoritative wisdom for how to live, the only one for our wounds, for our regrets, for our loneliness, for our depression, for our addiction, for our forgiveness, for our life, for our joy, for our love and compassion and gentleness and kindness and generosity. He's the one that we pour our lives out for. Our little lives come and go so fast. And that becomes none more apparent when you're standing around a gravesite or when you're standing in the waiting room at a maternity ward of how precious and how quick life is. And Jesus says, you can come to me and trust me and your life can become about something more than just about how much money you make or whatever it is that you think defines you. If you trust me. The ultimate expression of love and trust is his father when he sent Jesus to the cross. And Jesus trusts his father and he pours out his life for us. And we're gonna celebrate that in communion. And I'm excited to do that. So, the question is what will you do with this life that you've been given? Will you show gratitude and shine like stars and pour yourself out for a greater story of love and sacrifice and forgiveness and redemption? Or will it be spilled and wasted? And my prayer for us is that we would shine like stars, that we would pour ourselves out. Even as Boog and Steph are pouring themselves out as a sacrifice for our faith, her words are a sacrifice for our faith to keep going that this is all a gift given to us from our Creator God, a good Father, amen? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that you poured yourself out for us. And Lord, we're grateful for Paul who followed in your footsteps and poured himself out. God, may we be a people of gratitude and may we be a people who give up the complaining and grumbling that we might shine like stars in this world. We pray these things in your precious name, amen.